you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Philippians chapter 3. We'll pick up where we left off, what was that, like six months ago it seems like? Man, I saw somebody say something like, we've been in 2020 for six years it feels like. I think that felt like there's some truth to that. But Philippians chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read on down through verse 11. Stand with the sense of honor that God has spoken to us in His Word this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and God, we thank you for your word that calls attention to our lives, of how we're not to put confidence in anything that would draw us away from you, that we're not to trust in anything that, 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 that would draw us away from your son, Jesus Christ, and the life and the salvation that we can have in him and in him alone. Father, open our eyes to see those areas of our life that we are trusting in. Those areas of our life where we're, we're seeking to serve them as, as, as idols. And Lord, may we cast all of those things down at your feet and find our confidence, our, our hope for salvation, our hope for righteousness and justification and sanctification and glorification rooted in your Son, Jesus Christ alone. Lord God, I ask that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word, so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Who are you? How would you answer that question? Uh, this week I met uh, a gentleman that I had never met before, and 
that was kind of uh, the beginning of our conversation as we were talking about who are you. And typically, we respond to that by saying, you know, this is what I do for a living. I, I'm a pastor, or I work in this vocation or, or that vocation. Or, uh, or maybe you think, you say, I'm a teacher, or I'm a mom, I'm a dad, or I'm retired, or I'm a grandparent, which I hear is great. My parents tell me that being a grandparent is far better than being a parent. And I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know what that means they're saying about me. But maybe that's how you answer. You talk about something that you do or a relationship you have. That's what defines you. That's how you describe yourself. That's how you would answer that question. But let's say you were to answer that question of who are you by saying that you are a Christian. And then somebody asks you, well, why? Why are you a Christian? How would you answer that question? Somebody would ask you, why are you a Christian? Would you say, well, because my family grew up going to church, or because I've been born in the United States, or uh, because I'm a good person? If that's how you answer that, that question, then you need this text that Paul is writing for us this morning. If your answer to why you are a Christian is that, well, I'm a good person, then friend, you really are not a believer. You really are not a follower of Christ. You have been deceived. What Paul is doing here is he's laying out, he's showing for us that we can't trust anything. We can't find our identity in anything other than our faith in Christ. So remember where we've been in Philippians. Let's, let's, let's take a, a second to review, right? Because it's been so long. Paul's been laying out how to live a life of joyful courage in Christ. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's chained there uh, in Rome to, uh, to these guards. And, and, and he is still being a faithful witness for Christ. He's still able to have joy because he knows that his life is, 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 is in Christ. He knows that Christ has him there in prison to be a witness. And so he's courageously sharing the gospel. Also, through this letter to Philippi, the church there at Philippi, Paul is courageously confronting these false teachers that have been seeking to lead people astray. And what they've been doing, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, is they're saying that, well, in order to be a Christian, you, yes, you believe in Jesus, but you also have to do this. So they're adding to the gospel. They're saying, in order to be a Christian, you must also, in this instance, follow the law. You must be circumcised. You must, you must continue to keep the Sabbath. You must follow the Mosaic, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant laws. What might be similar to that today? What might be similar to saying, well, to be a Christian, yes, you must believe in Jesus, but you also have to do this. What might that this be in our day? Well, it's an election year, and that's always a fun year, right? But I, it always discourages me when I hear pastors say, no true Christian would vote this way, or only true Christians vote for this 
or that policy. Or only true Christians do this or that. Or only true Christians wear masks. Or only true Christians don't wear masks. You know, that's similar to what Paul is warning the church about here. He, he, he's warning the church that they're trusting in these other things that, that, that's not rooted in Christ. In other words, they're, they're trusting in, anything, in other things that they're not trusting fully in Jesus for their salvation. You see that? That's what, that's what Paul is warning against here. In, in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6, he's describing who he was before he met Christ. He, he was saying, I used to think this way. All of these characteristics were, were what I put my faith in, were what I put my, uh, my money in in one sense. So you, you could think about, as we read through this list here in verses 4 through 6, that this was sort of Paul's bank account on one side. This is where his hope was. This is what his trust was in, was in this bank account. This is what he was banking in. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has confidence, if he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Okay, so this is what, in verse 5, he's saying this is what his hope was in. He was circumcised on the eighth day. So he followed the law, basically from birth is what he's saying. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul is saying, I was circumcised, I'm a tribe of Benjamin, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, I'm a Pharisee, I was zealous, I was blameless according to law, and he chucked up, he chalked up all of these things in his bank account. And he thought it was great game for him. But then, he meets Jesus. And he realizes that whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So in other words, all that Paul had bet his life on, these are the reasons why I'm going to be saved in the end. All that he bet his life on, all that he counted as gain, he's saying once he met Christ, was equal to nothing. As we saw a couple weeks ago, he describes it as rubbish, as trash, as sewage. All of those things that he had banked on was just garbage. It, it got him nowhere except to be a blind beggar at the feet of Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying, all of my confidence was in my flesh. All of my hope for salvation was in myself. In other words, he's saying, I was my own Savior. Friend, where is your confidence? Is your confidence, is it in yourself? Is it in your intellect, your, your knowledge? What might you be trusting in today? Paul says that no matter how good you are, no matter all of these boxes that you can check, he's saying if you're not trusting in Christ, if your faith is not from faith in God through Christ, he's saying that gets you nowhere. And it's terrifying to think how many people think that they are in good standing with God, that they are good with God, when in reality they are just like Paul here. 
They're looking to themselves. And yet Jesus is going to say to them one day, depart from me for I never knew you. In other words, they're spiritually bankrupt like Paul was saying he was. Is that you? Are you spiritually bankrupt? As Paul says here, Jesus ultimately became his surpassing worth. Jesus became Paul's only credit, the only thing, the only uh, person he could truly bank on. So friends, hear that warning from Paul here today. Don't put your confidence in yourself. Don't put your confidence, your hope for salvation in your flesh. Are you here today because you truly love Jesus? Or are you here today because you're just going through the motions and trying to check boxes like Paul was? Hear that warning. Paul is saying, don't trust in any of these things. That's not to say that that once we come to know Christ that there isn't fruit. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, no, he was trusting in all of these externals for his hope for salvation. He's saying, don't put your confidence in your flesh. So where is your confidence supposed to be? In other words, we're going to say positively now, in the rest of this section in chapter 3, that we are to put our confidence in Christ. Put your confidence in Christ. Your hope for salvation is meant to be not in yourself, it's meant to be in Jesus. Your faith is to be in Jesus for salvation because He alone saves. And I understand that, yes, for many of you, you've heard this before. Maybe you've heard this for 40 years in churches. You've been a member in a Baptist church or any other church for 40 years, and you've heard this every single Sunday. On the one hand, I say, praise God you've been attending a gospel-preaching church for 40 years. But do you really believe this? Do you really believe that your hope for salvation is in Jesus alone? Are you looking to external things as your hope for salvation? Is faith in Christ really your own? Your own personal faith? Have you made your faith in Christ personal? And are you growing and changing because of that faith in Him? Or are you the same person that you were Ten years ago. Because Paul's not saying you just trust in Christ and then nothing happens. No, we're going to see that you grow. And as we'll see in in the rest of this section and also next week, that we, we are to strain and strive towards becoming more like Jesus. But you see, for Paul here, before he met Christ, he looked good. He was zealous. He was moral. He was outwardly righteous. But just like Jesus said in the Gospels of the scribes and Pharisees, he was a whitewashed tomb. You know what a whitewashed tomb is? It's a tomb that outwardly is is beautiful, it's ornate. What's inside of that tomb? A dead and decaying body. I I remember our our church in, in Kentucky had a cemetery right out in front and there were some huge, ornate uh, tombstones and, and, and monuments out there to people who had passed on 
And yet over the years, because it had been there for about 200 years, you couldn't even read the names of some of them. Or we could go to the cemetery just down the road and, and look at those beautiful gravestones, those grave markers. And yet at the end of the day, what's inside? A dead and decaying body. Maybe there are some of you here today where externally you look good. Externally you look righteous, you look moral, you look zealous. But inwardly, you're full of death. Is that you today? Answer that question. Think about that question. We all need to be asking ourselves that question daily. Am I truly finding my hope for salvation in Christ? Externally, do you look good? But inwardly, are you full of death? See what Paul says in verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had. And he had quite a bit of gain. When you look at the beginning of Acts, right? He was, he, was, he was known as a zealous person for the Jewish faith. He, was, he likely had this fast track that he was on. He was climbing the ladder of success in his community there. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So whatever gain he had there, whatever he was trusting in there before Christ, whatever that gain was, it was actually loss. It was empty. And he counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. And just in case you missed that, look at verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Twice Paul says that whatever he had, everything, is counted as loss compared to knowing Jesus. Would you say the same? That everything you have is lost compared to knowing Jesus. You know, for some of you, this has been a really, really hard year. I think for a lot of us, it's been a tough year. But for some of you, it's been a really, really hard year. But know that whatever loss you've experienced, it's nothing compared to knowing and being with Christ for all eternity. doesn't mean it's easy. Loss is not easy, right? Trials are not easy. But Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. I think many of us would answer that question of, yeah, I, I count everything as loss compared to knowing Christ. I think many of us would say, yes, I agree with what Paul's saying here. How can I disagree with Scripture? But do we really mean it? Do we really say that Jesus is enough if we lost everything? We'd, would you still be able to sing and live out those words of, I'd rather have Jesus? You know, I, I, I love that song, and I've, I've said this before. I know it's kind of slow, and sometimes it can drag on and be almost somber. But I think it, it reflects that, that, that biblical attitude that if we really did lose everything, that we could still say, I'd rather have Jesus. I think that's true joy. Saying everything is lost compared to Christ doesn't mean you simply just go around singing nonstop and dancing, especially for us Baptists, we don't do that, right? Just kidding, you should see my kids dance. Or constantly smiling on your face. That's not what joy, that's not what biblical joy is. It's this fake 
happiness, as if everything was okay. You read the Psalms, and the psalmists are not always smiling, right? They're asking tough questions, difficult questions about the justice and the righteousness of God in the midst of a broken and sinful world. But does knowing Jesus really mean that much to you, friend? Does knowing Jesus really mean that much to you? Could you be like Job and lose almost everything and still say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, I was reading this past week uh, a book by David Platt where he, uh, he, he was the former president of the International Missions Board and he was sharing an experience that he had in the Himalayas of, of walking through uh, the mountains and going from village to village and seeing all kinds of, of just awful physical needs and, and, and also the, the lack of, of, uh, of churches and a gospel presence there. And it was just need after need after need. But then he shares the experience of, of going to a church where all of the members had to hike two hours to go up, basically this cliff face, just to meet at, at church. And he was able to talk about the joy that they would have and just being in that community together. And he was just really cut to the heart because we've had it so easy for the most part in our nation. Could we really say like them that we could have joy if we suffer the loss of all things? These believers who, you know, once they trusted in Christ, they were kicked out of their homes. They lost their inheritances. They, their families disowned them. Do you imagine having your, your, your mother or your father or your son or your daughter spit in your face because you are a follower of Jesus? Paul is saying that all of that loss is nothing compared to Christ. Paul lost everything when he came to Jesus. For Christ, he had that reputation. He was among the leaders uh, of the Jewish uh, 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 he, was a, he was a Jewish religious leader. He was known to be zealous. And then he meets Jesus on a road and he ends up a blind beggar. Blind beggar. And he goes off into Arabia for a number of years. And then he comes back and people want to kill him. He lost everything. But Paul is saying that everything was nothing compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus. Friend, would you really be willing to lose everything? You know, the world tells us, do whatever you feel is right. Do whatever makes you feel happy. Pursue these pleasures. Don't commit to anything. Don't commit to the church. Don't commit to uh, church membership. Don't commit to a relationship. Don't commit to marriage. Do what's easy. But Paul is saying, that's all going to lead to emptiness. That's all going to lead to loss. Paul is saying that what he thought was lost before Christ, he thought Jesus was lost, but now that he's found Christ, or Christ has found him, he sees everything that he lived for, his own pride, his reputation, all of that was actually lost because that's not eternal. And now he's willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, because the reward of knowing Jesus is far better than anything this world has to offer. Paul, think about his life. He would 
He would be beaten. He'd be shipwrecked. He'd be imprisoned. He'd be close to death numerous times. He'd be starving. He'd be snake-bitten. Hardship after hardship after hardship. But Jesus was worth it. And he says in verse 9, To be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So we gain Christ. He's found in Jesus. The, the language that he uses there to be found in him. It's this language of, of taking refuge. Taking refuge in something to save. In the midst of everything, Paul is saying that Christ is his refuge. And then he goes on, he says, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through, through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This section that Paul is about to get into right here could not be more important for us to understand. Because at the heart of this, Paul is dealing with salvation and the Christian life. In verses 9, 10, and 11, he's dealing with salvation in the Christian life. He shows us how one becomes a Christian. In other words, to become a Christian, we need a righteousness. We need Jesus' righteousness. He talks about that in verse 9. And then in verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And then verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is, is talking about here, verse 9, we see righteousness and justification. Then verses 10 and 11 are important for understanding, okay, how we are to live in light of that righteousness, in light of that salvation. How are, to, are we to live and what are we to pursue as we seek to grow in our knowledge of Christ day by day? Some have said in these three verses that we see in verse 9, justification. In verse 10, we see sanctification. In verse 11, we see glorification. So let's break that down. Uh, justification. If you are not a Christian, then you need to be justified. You need to be saved. You need to be counted as righteous before God. And we experience that justification through faith in Christ. If you are not a Christian, then you face eternal condemnation in hell. If you are a Christian, like Paul here, then you need to pursue Christ and grow in your knowledge of Him, as, you see, as we see in verse 10. Through that lifelong process of sanctification. Basically, just growing in holiness. And that leads to future glorification that you see in verse 11. So verse 9, justification and, and righteousness. Paul said that according to the law, he was blameless. However, we can't live sinless lives. He, just like you, and just like me, needs someone else's righteousness. <clears throat> to be justified is to be declared, to be declared not guilty before God. 
That's what it means when we're justified. We receive salvation through faith in Christ, and God declares us as sinless before Him. Why? Not because of our sinlessness. No, because of Christ's sinlessness. Only righteous people are going to be saved. But here's the problem. What does Romans 3.23 say? You remember that, Owen? All have sinned, right? None of us are good enough. We need somebody else's righteousness. We need somebody else's perfect record given to us. We need someone else to do what we cannot do. And that's why the gospel is good news. Because we receive through faith in Christ righteousness from God that we don't deserve. Through faith in Christ, we are given His perfect righteousness. And that's the opposite of works-based righteousness that Paul was trusting in. And he says that kind of works-based righteousness is sewage. It's garbage. It's dumb. And we receive that righteousness through faith. In other words, faith is the reception of that gift of salvation. Uh, Francis Schaeffer defined faith. I love this. He said, faith is lifting up of our empty hands to God. In other words, we have nothing to offer God. All we have to do is take what He has given us. That salvation through Christ. So we need somebody else's righteousness. We need Christ's righteousness. That's the core of salvation. We're not saved by anything we have done. We're saved by faith in Christ. And let's be clear, justification, it's not a process where we are growing in justification. No, it's a declaration from God where He pronounces us not guilty. That's what sets Protestant churches apart from Catholic churches. The official Catholic teaching is that justification is a process. And, and, and the more works you do, the more justified you grow. But here, we see that can't be the case. You either are justified or you are not. So friends, have you trusted in Christ? Are you justified today? If not, cry out to Him. If you are, then know that that's not the end. Know that we need verse 10 as well. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Notice Paul doesn't say, I've made it. I've gone as far as I can go. He recognizes and he realizes that he needs to continue to grow. That he needs to continue to know Jesus and the power of His resurrection. That, that also part of, of living faithfully for Jesus means sharing in His sufferings so that we would become like Christ. Not perfect, right? But that we would grow more and more like Him. Paul is writing this. And he says that I may know Him. Nearly 30 years, this is, Paul is writing this, nearly 30 years after his conversion on that Damascus road where he saw Jesus face to face. And yet he writes here decades later that I may know him. 
He's longing for an ever deeper knowledge of Jesus. Do you? His desire for knowing Christ more flows out of his love for Christ and that love compels him to know Jesus more. Friends, if you're struggling with this desire and your love is growing cold, cry out to God today that he would increase this desire within you, that you may know him more. Paul's desire, the Apostle Paul, 30 years after he came to faith in Christ, is that he would know Jesus more. Do you want to know Jesus more? J.I. Packer said, Once you become aware that the main business that you are here on earth for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. In other words, friends, everything is put into proper perspective when we realize that, that, the, the, that we are to know God. That's most important for us, that we know Him. So we can be asking, how is this problem, this suffering, this difficulty that we are facing, how is this leading me to know Him more? Everything in our lives should flow out of a desire to know Jesus more and to make Him known. Friends, maybe you do know Him. Well, how might you make Christ Paul ends verse 10 by saying, becoming like Him in His death. That's our goal in sanctification. That's our goal in our Christian life, isn't it? To grow more like Jesus. To grow in our holiness as we pursue our knowledge of Jesus. So justification, sanctification, and that growing in Christ-likeness that growing in our knowledge and love for Him, our understanding of how the gospel applies to our lives as we suffer for the, the, the sake of Christ, we do all of this knowing and looking forward to our resurrection, to our future glorification. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Friends, the suffering that you face in this life is momentary, it's temporary. Our glorification, our being with Christ in our perfected state, that's going to be for eternity. Future glory does not lead to passivity, to apathy, to laziness here on this life, but to living holy lives. As we pursue Christ with a white-hot passion for His glory to be made known in our lives and His name to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, that doesn't lead us to live passive lives. Our hope is that we would be with Christ for all eternity. And because Jesus is alive, that hope is secure for every believer. So friend, who are you? What's your purpose in life? Is it to know Christ and to make Him known? Are you like Paul was, outwardly good? Moral, zealous, outwardly righteous, but inwardly full of death. Friend, if that's you, repent and follow Christ. What are you trusting in this morning? What's your identity in? What might be pulling you? What might be pulling you away from Christ? Is it your own pride? 
Is it your own self-reliance? Is it your own selfishness? Have you lost the wonder of the cross? Do you think you know it all? Well, hear Paul's warning here. Put your confidence in Christ. How do you know your confidence is in Christ? Well, because everything will seem like nothing compared to knowing Jesus. As Paul says here, I count it all as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and may our identity and our hope for salvation be in Jesus Christ. May our confidence not be in ourselves, our selfishness, or our reliance upon ourselves, or any outwardly external actions, but may our confidence be in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.